Mike Rags and Todd Burlidge with a Blue Gold Report podcast. Fighting Irish sports from the inside out. Subscribe to the Blue Gold Report. It's not just talk, it's the Blue Gold Report. your co-host today and contributing writer for Blue and Gold Illustrated, Associated Press, UND.com, among some other endeavors. I'll be joined, as always, by Mason Plummer. Mason is on the road and to Purdue for a big college party weekend, I'm assuming. I don't think this is a business trip, although maybe he can correct me if I'm wrong. You can find Mason at Mason Plummer 6, numeral 6. That is his Twitter handle, and he does fine work. We talked about a great story that he wrote last week on the Notre Dame offensive line breakdown for SlapTheSign.com. So look him up there as well. Mason, keep your eyes on the road, man. How's it going? I'm doing well. Yeah, a little bit of partying possibly, but yeah, I'll be covering the Purdue-Michigan basketball game tomorrow, so I'm looking forward to it. Oh, man, that sounds fun. Good for you. Or not a whole lot. It's been a little, little bit of a slow week here this week. Obviously, next week we can start talking about spring ball. The spring schedule is out. I thought the biggest story of the week that was interesting is the NCAA making some, well, proposing, I guess we'll call it, some changes to the way the transfer works. It looks like they might be ditching that situation where you kids have to sit out a year before they transfer to a new school. They can come eligible immediately. I think that's going to be a big mess, and Mason and I will break that down a little bit. Uh, spring ball is here, which is always a big shot for the early enrollees. And I, so I thought I'd take a look back a little bit. I did a story on this uh, for blueandgold.com. Just how impactful, how much does this early enrollment period help these kids? And frankly, it's not a whole heck of a lot. I was surprised to see. Going to hit on some men's hoops. I want to start with Pat Connaughton, the job he did in the dunk contest. It was great. I have a little bit of audio from him. And does Notre Dame men, do they actually have any tournament aspirations still, any tournament hopes still alive? Uh, We'll get to all that, a quick run through women's hoops and hockey. But as we start every show, let's get our six-pack of blue gold nuggets in. Mason, I'll start it out. Like I said, the spring football schedule has been released. It's kind of an odd one this year because it opens on Thursday, March 5th, but then they get 12 days off. So they've won practice, and then the team gets 12 days off. They won't practice again until Tuesday, March 17th. That's because spring break falls in there, and the kids all get a chance to do their thing. In all, spring ball will be 14 practices. Five are open to the media, uh, which I'm going to try to drag Mason up here. I'll be at those and uh, see how many I can get Mason up here. He has his duties at Ball State University. And then April 18th is the Blue Gold game, 12.30 p.m. Tickets have now gone on, gone on sale, $8 for a youth general admission, $12 adult general admission. You can get a reserved seat, no reason to, in my opinion, for 40 bucks. You can find those. Go to und.com and go to the ticket link. Mason, what you got? One this past week, 24-7 sports updated their rankings for recruiting guys like me. That's always a big deal. Not a lot of movement, but one that was huge was Notre Dame quarterback commit Tyler Buckner in the 2021 class. He's going to be a stud at Notre Dame, and people are starting to realize it. And he moved from the number 103rd player in the nation to, to the top 50. At number 50, I think he still has plenty of room to move up. I totally believe he's a five-star caliber, caliber player, which would slot him in. The top 32 is those five-star guys, so I think his senior season will move him up to that five-star range. But, yeah, big movement for Tyler Buckner. What is What did he do to make that kind of jump? I think they're just now getting to the 2021 guys. They're finishing, they just now recently finished up the 2020. Uh, he had video game-like numbers at in high school, and I think a lot of people were worried about how he would recover. He tore his left ACL 
his sophomore season, but he recovered just fine and looked like a brand-new man. So I think people were worried about that, but uh, he, he looked just great. Yeah, that makes perfect sense there. Moving on to uh, Notre Dame Navy season opener in 2020. The game time has been announced. This is Saturday, August 29th, by the way. It's going to be 7 p.m., at Aviva Stadium in Dublin, 7 p.m. in Dublin, Ireland, makes it a 2 p.m. start here in East Standard Time, which is a whole heck of a lot better than the 9 a.m. game that they played here locally in 2012. This will be the third time Notre Dame has played in Dublin. They also did it in 96, I mentioned 12, and now coming up in 20. So that's a little bit more user-friendly for folks that like to have a little bit of a couple beverages maybe before their game. 9 a.m. doesn't quite do it. Yeah, I think that's a little bit more manageable. Former Notre Dame offensive lineman, now all-pro for the Colts. Quentin Nelson was on a popular Barstool Sports podcast, Pardon My Take. He was getting interviewed by them. That's a popular podcast that I listen to as well, actually. And one of the one of the guys over there at Barstool Sports gave him the block of the year and gave him a brick for it as a trophy, <laughs> which I thought was pretty cool. A lot of these way too early football top 25 polls are coming out and certainly they are way too early they're not too hard to figure out how they're going to go about it but it's always worth mentioning notre dame because they come in right about that same spot every time espn has notre dame ranked at number nine for those who are interested teams that are ranked around them georgia is actually 10 in this particular poll and wisconsin who notre dame will play is ranked number six in this way too early poll your top four clemson one ohio state two Oklahoma 3 and Alabama 4. That's probably the lowest Alabama has ever come in in one of these. And then USA Today also has Notre Dame ranked number 9 in its way too early poll. Mason, you still have another one? Yeah, lastly for me, not a lot going on in recruiting this week, but I'll throw something in for my last nugget. Notre Dame target in the 2022 class, wide receiver Caden Saunders. He uh, came out in an interview this past week and said he wants to play football and baseball in college, which I thought was really interesting given the amount of football and baseball players Notre Dame has had recently, Jeff Samarja and Golden State come to mind, as well as Torrey Hunter Jr. So when he sees those guys having success playing football and baseball, maybe get him leaning towards Notre Dame, I guess we'll have to see. Yeah, exactly. And we're going to talk about another one here up the line when we get to the hoops segment. And Pat Connaughton, who had a pretty good career, and, and uh, you'll get a kick out of the clip, actually, because he's still not giving up a potential professional baseball career when he's done with his NBA stuff. All right, let's move on here. This just came out this week. I do have to give Eric Hansen from the South Bend Tribune uh, some credit here for sure. I've been following it a little bit, but uh, Eric had a chance to talk to Jax Warbrick and sort of shed some light on Notre Dame's line of thinking here when it comes to this transfer stuff. I've always felt like the year that you had to miss a year, if you're going to transfer, you need to sit out a year. I always thought that was a good idea because I thought it served as a deterrent for guys just jumping ship all over the place. Now, this whole transfer portal thing has changed that a little bit because for whatever reason, guys are getting through and then they're getting these waivers. So they just pass them out like candy. They really do. And I think Phil Jakovic is going to be the next one. He's trying to get his waivers. He transferred to Boston College from Notre Dame. He's trying to get his waiver by claiming just hardship, wasn't treated fairly. Uh, but basically, here are the nuts and bolts of it. On Monday, the ACC guys, Warbrick and the other 14 ACC athletic directors, they voted unanimously that guys should get at least one free transfer without having to sit out a year. And I think that opens up a whole new can of worms here. Football, men's and women's hoops, hockey, and baseball. All roads lead, Mason. They're going to do away with this year that you have to sit out as a transfer. At least you get one free crack at it. 
I think it's dangerous territory because we're already seeing this draft por- or this transfer portal fill up year in and year out even more. I can't imagine the avalanche this is going to create. I tend to agree with you. I I think it just promotes a lack of competition, you know, especially in the quarterback position. You know, not so much in the case of Phil Dracovic. He had his chance to win the job and didn't get it, so he moves away, which is totally fine by me. But guys that, you know, they're a freshman, they're at the school for a few months, and, oh, I didn't win the job, I'm transferring. Right. I don't necessarily agree with that. I think you should stay and try to win the job. But, yeah, like I said, in a case like Dracovic, if you're there for two or three seasons and it's not working out, then on the other, you know, the other side of the coin, I guess it, it's fine if you're not going to get a chance to play college football. So I see it both ways. I think there's pros and cons either way they go about it. With all these guys coming and going now, you're going to almost need a, a, a staff member or maybe even a staff department to monitor all this. I think it's going to make your roster management much more difficult. Guys are going to come and go. You're already seeing it. As a matter of fact, Mike Bray said in the preseason during the ACC meetings, moving to, flipping over to basketball for a second here, that he just does not like the way they pass these waivers out, that they should be more stringent on these. Because kids, they, they announce their transfers, they get an attorney, that attorney gets them taken care of, and they don't have to sit out that year. And that's really what's thrown Mike Bray's roster in out of rhythm, frankly. He always knew exactly what he had, how it was going to work. Since 2017, he's had four guys leave now. Chris Doherty most uh, recently went to Northeastern, Matt Ryan, Transferred to Vanderbilt and then transferred to Chattanooga. Uh, Elijah Burns, again, recently, he was a senior captain, supposedly heading into this season. He's playing for Siena. And then DJ Harvey bailed out after last year. He's at Vandy. He is sitting out his transfer year. So here's Mike Bray's concerns. The thing that I wish could be reeled back in is waivers. Waivers is why there's more people in the portal, because kids actually feel they can get eligible right away. Every big-time college quarterback has gotten eligible in the last two years, but a lot of basketball kids have gotten eligible. And I don't think, I think, I think we were, we have been too liberal with the waivers. And that has been voiced back to the NSA. And I do think they're trying to ratchet that back a little bit. The year in residency was a deterrent. That used to be, it's not as much, but it is still a bit of a deterrent. Well, well I'm going to go, got to sit out of here. Wait a minute, you know. But now kids are going in because they have been coached. And there's a number of attorneys out there that know how to work the waiver angle, they have been directed to, hey, put your name in the portal, we'll get you eligible. So that, that's got to be the first step. we got to scale back the waivers. And it's really hard to disagree with him, Mason, you know, but for all that Mike Bray wants these to be more stringent rules when it comes to transfers, it looks like it's heading the other way. From the football standpoint, Brian Kelly has lost 61 players to transfer since he's been here. Obviously, he's been here 10 years. 28 of those are grad transfers. But at the same time, Notre Dame has never been one to quickly bring in and easily bring in other transfers. As a matter of fact, when you're talking about scholarship to scholarship, there's only been three under Brian Kelly. Florida State defensive tackle Jordan Presswood, USC running back Amir Carlisle, and then, obviously, Lohi Gilman most recently from Navy. I think Brian Kelly is really going to have to start monitoring if, indeed, this legislation passes. And it seems like with the, the way this is kind of going, that Brian Kelly, you know, he's got he's been talking, like we've said the past couple weeks, about adapting with the times as far as recruiting. And he's had to. You, you saw that with the Lohi Gilman 
just brought in safety Isaiah Pryor from Ohio State, and they're looking at another guy, the Stanford running back, Trevor State. Transferring is something that the kids seem to be liking to do. A lot of details to be worked out, but it certainly looks like it's going to happen here. If these kids don't have any price to pay for transferring Mason, doesn't that open the door for some big-time corruption? Yeah, I totally agree. And, you know, college basketball already has so much corruption as it is. Exactly. Every season or every other season, there's a big-time program getting slammed by the NCAA with huge, just huge penalties regarding their corruption, whether it's Louisville, Duke, North Carolina, all the above. Pitt just got sanctioned, I believe, yesterday or the day before. So it, I think there does need to be a penalty for for the players transferring. It it makes it not so easy to just be like, oh, I've had a tough month or two. I'm out. Exactly. But on the on the same on the same notion, Notre Dame could be greatly helped if Cormac Ryan could play this season. So that would be great. Yeah, you're talking about the Stanford uh, basketball player, the, the starting, actually he was the starting point guard for Stanford before he moved here. One more note on Notre Dame. When you sort of look at the profile of a Notre Dame football player, and really a Notre Dame student athlete, I shouldn't single out football players, but these are people that go along that four-year for 40-year for sort of program. I can't help but wonder if maybe Notre Dame can survive this storm better, some, that better than some other schools because they have kids that are academically committed as well as athletically committed. And perhaps this works to Notre Dame's advantage while all these other schools sort of flip-flop around. I don't know. Any thoughts on that? I think it it could potentially help Notre Dame. Like you said, they're normally going after the high academic guys, the guys that are athletes as well, but are also thinking about their future. They're really in line for the degree. And I wanted to bring that up earlier, actually, because like you were saying, of those, I believe you said 62 guys that have left Notre Dame, a majority of them are grad transfers. They're getting the Notre Dame degree first, so that even proves even more so that these guys really want the Notre Dame degree and are improving the value of it. Of the 61 transfers, 28 have been grad transfers, so just about darn near half of them. That's a great point, Mason. All right, I want to move on here. I'm going to fly through this a little bit. Just thought it was kind of interesting because as you looked at it, this was the 15th year. You have to go back to February of 2005 when... Charlie Weiss was under a tent, a portable tent in Jacksonville, Florida, introducing his first recruiting class while at the same time he was coaching the offense. He was the offensive coordinator of the New England Patriots. I'll never forget that. He was, it was pouring in Jacksonville, and he's listing this 15-man class. Two best players on it were a couple four-stars, wide receiver DJ Horde and tight end Joey Hyben. That class was ranked number 33 nationally, and it was it was coming on the heels of the 2004 class from Tyrone Willingham that only had 16 commits and ranked number 35 nationally, so not too good. There was a, there was a hiccup there. Weiss fought for early enrollment. This had been going on in other schools for a few years, and he won his case. And so that therein was a new era for Notre Dame football. Didn't quite take off under Charlie Weiss as it has under Brian Kelly. Although Charlie Weiss did bring in sort of the face of early enrollment in 2007 with Jimmy Clausen. He did have three players in 2006. That was the first time it happened 15 years ago. 15th class, I should say. James Aldridge, running back. Chris Stewart, offensive guard. George West, wide receiver. As we move through here, I decided it would be fun to look back at some of these guys and, and who, who have thrived under early enrollment. And Mason, I was surprised to see that of the 70 players... There were early enrollees. 
Only about five of them ever even had a cup of coffee in the, the NFL. And Jerry Tillery is the only first-round draft pick ever to be an early enrollee at Notre Dame. So I, I did an all-early enrollee team here. I'm going to shoot through it here. Uh, Tommy Reese, 2010, was your quarterback. I thought I thought he nudged out uh, Jimmy Clausen. Not much on the running back front. Armando Allen going all the way back to 2007 and James Aldridge, 2006. So not a lot of uh, Kyron Williams could certainly bust that list up the line here. Wide receivers T.J. Jones, 2010, and Corey Robinson, 2013. And I had to put Brock Wright on this team, even though he's not had a lot of production offensively, uh, the 2017 tight end. So it kind of goes to show you, as far as the offensive skill guys, there hasn't been a lot there. Um, I'm trying to remember. Yeah, I mean, Robinson had a decent freshman year. Nine receptions, 157 yards, and one TD. Allen had 472 scrimmage yards, but obviously not a lot there. Offensive line... Aaron Banks, current player. Robert Hainsey, current player. Steve Elmer, 2013. Trevor Robinson, who had a nice NFL career going back to 2008. And Chris Stewart, 2006. So, again, that's not real high-powered stuff. Now, offensive line, you you don't expect anybody to make an immediate impact. But, again, that's not really a star-studded cast. I think when you go to the defense, especially the front-line defense, is when you start to get some kick-ass names here. Khalid Kareem, 2016. Daylon Hayes, 2016. Sheldon Day, 2012. Jerry Tillery, 2015. Ishaq Williams, 2011, at a, at a linebacker. James Anwalu, at a linebacker. And Tavon Coney, at a linebacker. So you're talking about some NFL guys here. Kareem will be. Hayes will be. Day is. Tillery is. Williams was. He's floated back and forth. Anwalu has a little bit. And Tavon Coney hasn't made the cut yet. So defensively, when you're looking at the front seven position, I think these early enrollees have thrived a little bit more than anywhere else. The defensive secondary, again, not really a star-studded cast. I came up with Zeke Mata from 2009. Nice player at Notre Dame. Had like two years in the NFL, just sparing, you know, kind of a special teams player. Devin Studstill, another safety, 2016. He actually had a heck of a freshman year. 38 tackles, picked a pass off and a forced fumble, then his career took a nosedive. Gary Gray is one cornerback in 2007, and Low Wood is the other one, 2010. The specialists stand out a little bit. Kyle Brinza, a great kicker for Notre Dame. He was uh, an early enrollee, as was Jay Bramlett. So he's my punter, and he's a current guy. Mason, I was surprised to go through that list of 70 players, and that's the best I could come up with as sort of an all-early enrollee team. Uh, not exactly the guys that you would expect you to, you want your skilled position guys especially to be early enrollees that doesn't always happen of course you're asking a guy to give up the second semester of his senior year of high school which is a lot of you sure. know, a big time for for kids you know that's something you look back on fondly at least i do and you know you want you definitely want your quarterback and normally that happens there's a lot to learn when you're trans, transitioning from the high school to the college game Especially in a place like Notre Dame, you're just getting acclimated academically and everything. But yeah, I was, I was really surprised to see the amount of defensive guys that are all, a lot of those were standouts. So that's good stuff, and hopefully the early enrollees continue. I believe Notre Dame is eight or nine this season. Right, some guys that that could definitely be added to that all-time early enrollee list. I think. Yeah, and I think that the numbers are increasing more and more. I believe it was ten last year. However, you want to look at it, there are eight freshmen this year, and then I was Isaiah Pryor is an early enrollee as well, though he's a grad student, so I'm not sure where you want to put him on that list. But yeah, indeed, it's it's becoming more and more something that Brian Kelly is leaning on. 
I was just a little bit surprised that some bigger names hadn't gone through that early and early program when you looked at some of these position groups, especially running back and, and when I, I, I was a little bit stunned. That's 70 guys is a lot to sort through. And to have Armando Allen and James Aldridge as your all early and early running backs, it really surprised me. So I don't know if anybody else found it interesting, but but I did, dang it, Mason, and that's you know only half of what matters. All right, let's move on to some hoops here. I want to start with Pat Conan. Tell me you did watch the dunk contest. Of course I did. What were your thoughts? I thought it was fast. I found it one of the most entertaining ones in, in every way around other than sort of the Rob job late um, that I had seen in a long time, and Pat really helped spice it up. Yeah, I thought Pat was great. I don't know whether his dunks or his outfit was better. I thought that was awesome. But I think Aaron Gordon got robbed in the end. I, I think Pat Connaughton, I think he, his, you know, their, what do you call their rankings or whatever you want to say, the judging was a little bit skewed for him. I don't think it was necessarily fair, but Aaron Gordon blew everybody out of the water. And I think he should have won. Yeah, for sure. I just, I thought Pat helped his brand there a little bit. Really came out, you know, Duncan over first and, first and foremost, Christian Yellick, the Milwaukee Brewer. Uh, MVP reigning, and then Giannis dunking over him. I thought he did a great job. And actually, here's Pat. I, the thing I like about Pat is he's not just a, a great ball player and a great athlete. He's a good ambassador and a great dude. And here he is talking about his time there in Chicago. Look, I, I'm a guy that I never try to close the door on any opportunity. Um, but mostly, I try to look at it. I try to look at the things that I do uh, as an inspiration to, to the kids coming up, right? How many kids would kill to be in a position to have a chance to play one sport professionally, let alone two, right? So for me, um, being able to play basketball and, and do it at a high level is incredible. And to be able to live on my dream of playing in the NBA is incredible. But if there's ever a possibility when my NBA career is over, um, I think I'd be remiss not to at least give it a try because of all the kids that love baseball, all the kids that would love to be a professional baseball player. And I was one of those kids too. Um, so to have both opportunities, uh, I'm extremely grateful for. Obviously, uh, I don't take it for granted. There's a lot of hard work and effort that went into it. But uh, I want to make sure that uh, I show some kids that, you know, you don't have to specialize at a young age. You can have success in sports um, if you love both of them and you want to put the time and dedication into it. So there's Pat talking about that. We'll move on to some real hoops here now. Um, Notre Dame, a good, uh, it was a great win, actually, last time out. 77-76 on a last-second shot, a buzzer beat. Well, two seconds left in the game by Nate Leshevsky. They were down 15 points in this game with eight minutes left, and then they were still down nine with four minutes left. Went on a 13-3 run to close the game. Held North Carolina with to three points in its last seven possessions. Mason, you know, I, it sounds silly, and we'll probably be talking about how crazy it is next week, but here's Notre Dame's closing schedule here. Sunday, Miami, 6-10 and 10 in the league. At BC, 7-9. and nine. At Wake Forest, 4-12. The Biggies, obviously, Florida State, a home game, 12-3, and three, and then home Virginia Tech, 6-9. and nine. If you win all those, you go 12-8 and eight in the ACC. I don't know how. I, I just think that you have to look at a 12-8 and eight ACC team, even though the league's down. I think if Notre Dame wins out, they honestly have a chance. They could be in fourth or you know, probably fifth, but perhaps fourth place. I think they need to be considered there. Uh, any, any thoughts? Can they run the table here? I don't know if they can run the table, but certainly when you look at that schedule, it doesn't seem that outrageous. Yeah, I think winning all the rest seems fathomable. I think Florida State is tough, but you know, Notre Dame beating a down North Carolina team, 
given it is North Carolina, they have the athletes and the and the players, but at the same time, they just got destroyed in Mike Ray's worst ever loss right. as Notre Dame coach by Duke. So you're not really sure what kind of Notre Dame team you're going to get. If they come out guns blazing, the, the three's falling against Florida State, anything can happen. I think that game's the toughest one on that slate. Oh, yeah, clearly that's the case. And, you know, they went down to Tallahassee and, and only lost by uh, a point. So and really they had that game. Mike Bray obviously had his meltdown after that, and Notre Dame's played a lot better since. But we'll, we'll keep an eye on that, and we can certainly revisit this as we go. I just think one loss, and they're kind of a done deal. Maybe it could be excuse for a Florida State loss. But that's the kind of win they need, not the kind of loss they need. Real quick on the women, 10-17 and 17 overall, 5-10 and 10 in conference. They've lost three in a row again. They play Syracuse at home Sunday at noon. Hockey, 12 wins, 12 losses, 6 ties. Disappointing loss and a tie last weekend against Minnesota. They were trying to gain some momentum. Didn't get anything there. They play at Michigan this weekend. Then versus home against Michigan State next weekend. And then the Big Ten tournament starts if Notre Dame has any hopes of getting into the NCAA tournament again, they're going to have to get hot, and they're going to have to win the Big Ten. Mason, we are at 28 on the dot, as always, my friend. Safe driving. Have a good weekend. All right. Sounds good, Todd. Thanks for having me. All right. Thanks, my friend. And that is your Blue Gold Report, y'all. Have a great weekend. We'll talk to you next week. Brought to you by D.O. McComb and Son at Mason Plumber 6. You can find him at slapthesign.com. You can find me at blueandgold.com. We will talk to you next week. This has been a presentation of Opt-In Productions. Podcasts by Federated Media. Podcasts by Federated Media.